I think most people are very starry-eyed when it comes to what they think the future is going to be like. Philosophers. Philosophers. So, David, I have an interesting hypothetical for you today. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So, I mentioned this a couple times before, but I am a big sci-fi enjoyer. I, too, am a man of culture. Not really, but... Indeed. But I do like sci-fi. Um... And a couple of specific sci-fi, quote, you know, universes, I guess you might say, um, or canons, maybe, um, have been on my mind a bit lately. Um, I am eagerly awaiting the new Dune movie. Okay. Um, but the books on which Dune were, the, the movies were written, uh, the movies were made, uh, were based in some way, well were used as inspiration for Warhammer 40,000, which I also am a thorough enjoyer of. Mm -hmm. And they both take an interestingly realistic attitude towards the future. Um, Not entirely, but as far as sci-fi goes, they at least pose very real problems that would have to be rectified. Although they, they couch some of these in like interestingly like medieval institutions. Good example. Um, they both have like a huge religious element to mm-hmm. their large organizations. They both feature like a central emperor and ruling houses and families. Like it's a very like medieval structure. Rather, yeah. Um, and I always thought that was just a really neat aesthetic. Like it was a really interesting thing to think about. But it wasn't until I started learning about like Dune does not do this. Dune does not claim to be like in our universe and in you know, it's not a projection of our future. It is right. totally separate. It's just a story, yeah. It's just a story. Uh, Warhammer 40,000 is also just a story, but it does try to tie back to our current timeline. But because it's set in the year 40,000, so far away, you can get away with a lot of changes between now and then, right? Right. Well, one of the things that I had a hard time thinking about was how is it that, you know, our gov- the governments and the life on Earth it's kind of followed a fairly predictable trajectory. Um, and I wondered like, why would, why is it that certain things like democracy don't exist in all of these fantasies? Why, why, why is there not some like central, like, like more federation way of doing it? Like if you're in if you're familiar with like um, Star Trek where, or Star Wars, even they do this, there's a capital planet and representatives from not really countries but right you know government political entities, entities political entities from that around o- the galaxy yeah yeah that occupy geospatial areas is it's not geography at that point what astro what what would you call it astro astrography astrography it's not astrology. No, that's it's a, not astrology. That's space that. racism. But uh, like, space racism. <laughs> that's my favorite thing I've ever heard astrology called. But um, um, what would you what would you call it? Like, what would you call an area in space? Like, what is the name for the study of the like physical out you know, the physical arrangement of space? Just astro like astrography or astronomy? That, well, astronomy is like the study of stars and other celestial objects. Mm-hmm. So it's not astronomy. Um, Are we coining phrases today? At, at astrometry? I don't know. Astrometry. Either way, 
I'm going to look it up because I'm curious. What's like the prefix for something in a galaxy? I don't, uh, know. I don't know that we have one. I thought it'd be astro. Astro is star. Okay. Um, that's a good question. It's not stellar. Hmm. Right. That's also star. It, galactic is the adjective. Right. But I don't know a prefix. What about just galactic topography? Okay. Is that good enough for our purposes today? We should come up with a shorter thing for us to say in this episode, though. <laughs> Either way, we're going to use we the word country. It, we, we will call it geography if we need to say we, it again, because sure. that's what we actually mean. Space geography. Space geography. <laughs> this is space governments. Um, yeah, anyway. So in, the, in, in both Star Trek and Star Wars and those sci-fi universes... Um, there's like areas of space that loosely collect planets that are all organized as some government or some state, which then sends representatives to some super state and that controls a whole area, right? Now, the key difference between these two, um, is that one acknowledges the realities, even if you had faster than light travel, of just the sheer amounts of distances you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And the other, it's like going down the highway. You know, you can predictably and regularly travel from one place to another in a predictable amount of time, and they're not that far away in time. And everywhere always seems to move forward in time at the same rate. Mm -hmm. And moving between those two places doesn't cost you anything. I.e., that's Star Trek and Starfleet. Uh, Star Trek and Star Wars is that, oh yeah, time just ticks forward. It's fine. Everywhere ticks forward at the same rate, which means if I come to this planet and then I leave and I'm gone for 10 years on my watch and I come back, 10 years will have passed both for me and for the planet I left. Yes. But the fun thing is, that's not how that works. That's not how the actual universe works. Yeah. How does the actual universe work? Uh, well, how does... uh, there's this fun thing called special relativity. Um, and yes, uh, time is not, there is no absolute time, first of all. Right. Um, and so uh, it turns out that as things move, uh, there is a relationship between how fast you move uh, relative to something else. This matters. Um, like how, how fast you move in a frame of reference, it is called, um, compared to the speed of light will determine the will determine how fast time moves apparently for you now uh you from your vantage point will always observe time moving at the same rate um but uh, the, the the interesting quirk that gives rise to this is that the speed of light is constant from every frame of reference right um so like unlike basically anything else in the universe where if you're moving and it is moving relative to you and you accelerate faster then that thing appears to slow down to you because you're catching up but you can't catch up to light the light speeds up to keep going the speed of light relative to you but of course it can't speed up in other frames of reference because that just breaks causality um so instead time appears to others to be moving slower for you Yes. Um, to to comp so that the speed of light is exactly the speed of light from their frame of reference as well. It just looks like time is going slower for you to them, which is very weird and hard to get your head around unless you spend a long time thinking about it. 
Um, but we can probably demonstrate this in a hypothetical. So I, I think a good hypothetical because people often compare traveling on a spaceship as to traveling on an ocean ship. Mm-hmm. People often do that. So to help demonstrate our point, let's have a magic mirror that allows us to actually see what is going on at any given point in our time. Okay. Okay. So I am going to stay in our home port and you're going to get on the ship and you're going to travel to some other distant planet and then come back. Right. So on my watch, you leave and you return 10 years later. How much time will have passed for you though? Like when you get back, we both synchronize our watches and then minus tick back 10, you know, I've gone 10 years on my watch. By the time you return, will your watch say 10 years? No. Have passed. No. But it'd be more or less. Uh, Sorry, can we repeat the details again? Yeah. I'm going to stay on Earth. Mm-hmm. You're going to get on a spaceship and you're going to go to some other place in the universe that takes on Earth Fine. 10 years to okay. get there and then come back. And then when you come back, how many? How much time will have passed on your watch? 10 years. To me. Oh, wait, no. On, on Earth, it takes 10 years? Yeah. 10 years okay. to me. How many years for you? More um, or less. Less. Okay. So. Yeah. To you, it took me 10 years, but to me, it took less, depending on how fast I was moving. Sure. Um, we'll say you were traveling 50% the speed of light, which is pretty pretty fast. That's actually extremely fast, yes. Extremely fast, but still. Um, I don't know the ratios, by the way, so don't ask me this question. I wasn't going to ask you. <laughs> but either way... How would this look, though, if I had a magic portal mirror that would let me see what you were doing the whole time? Like, like I had a, ca- a third-person camera that followed you around and then live-streamed it back to me instantaneously somehow. Yes. I would perceive you just moving sl- a little bit slower than me. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, everything that I'm doing would, would be slower than normal. And, and everything around me would also be going slower. So, like, you know, at, at that speed, you, you, you know, you... It might actually be slow enough that you could, like, if you could see, like, computer monitors in front of you, you could actually see them drawing the screen and things like that because they're they're actually, they're literally going slower relative to you. Right. And if I could see your watch in frame the whole time, I would watch the times drift apart. Like, mine would be moving a little bit faster than yours and yours would be slow. Yeah, it, yeah. my clock would be, yeah, if I were holding a, a clock, it would run slow by your standard. Yep. And, and how if I had my own magic mirror looking back at you. Right. Um... Well, that's another interesting thing. Um, so it would look like your clock is moving fast to me. Yes. Um, let's see. I'm trying to remember why it works the other way, though. It, it logically has to, right? Your clock has to run faster than mine so that when I come back, we we both agree that my clock ticked less than yours. Right. Um, hmm. And we're using mirrors because the reality is if I was, if you were transmitting like digital frames to me, I would be getting less frames than expected. No, more frames than expect, less frames than expected. Less frames. If I were sending, yeah, if I were sending you some data on a regular interval. But if, if I were sending you like one ping every second, but then I started moving really fast, then you would get fewer than one per second. Mm -hmm. And I would get more than, you would get more than anticipated. Pings from me to you would be occurring more often than one per second. I, assuming that we could pinch time, pinch space time together in one place. Mm-hmm. The, 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 Which, the observer here effect kind of breaks mm-hmm, this because yes. we're, we're tying two points in time. But this is why they're magic. Because the reality is you actually can't do this. Right. Um, and that's the point we're trying to demonstrate is that even if 
I say go away for 10 years and come back. You maybe couldn't in 10 years to me. You, you could probably calculate and figure it out because it's also not a constant thing. Like you don't constantly speed up, speed up, speed up, speed up. And then by the time you get back, there's like a skip. It depends on how much faster you're going than me. Mm-hmm. And I would be able to watch this. Like your clock would slow down the faster you're going. And then when, like, for example, if you were traveling to your destination, I would watch your clock slow down while you're traveling. And then when you get to your destination, if the place you're moving is moving at the same speed as earth, I would see our clocks kind of resynchronize, like not synchronized, but like they would tick at the same rate again. Yes. And then as you sped back to come home, yours would slow down. You know, that's how it would look. Yes. Anyway, this very complicated analogy that we're trying to demonstrate is that this is a weird phenomena that is considered in some sci-fi universes, but isn't in others. Okay. So in the two that I originally began talking about, Dune and Warhammer 40,000, they acknowledge that this exists. Thus changing how they see the future functioning now in both dune and in uh warmer 40,000 they have the ability to travel faster than light though but this still happens which makes it even more weird than how it would really be because as far as we understand right now you can't exceed the cosmic speed limit you right and mathematically if you could then this effect gets to the point where if you're going faster than light then you're actually going backwards in time going faster than light would be a way to go back in time if it were possible Right. Now, I know that there's been some people talk about, yeah, but what if you were able to pinch two points in space-time together and just step through them? How does that work? Like, right, warping but now space. You, right, but then, yeah, then you're not actually breaking the speed limit, right? You're just geometrically making the path shorter. Right, which, to be fair to these sci-fi universes, that's how both Dune and Warhammer work. They're, you wormhole right. your you way wormhole from place your, to... Yeah, that, that's how they get around... These things are really far apart. How do we? How do these things interact meaningfully? Well, there's a wormhole somewhere that they can get there faster. Yeah, right. Either way, though, um, what what is this? Assuming we can't do any of that, we just have to go at sublight speeds. Yep. Right. Right now, and for the sake of how things work in the world today, everything's effectively instant. Like, if something were to happen in Europe. And a news camcorder posted a live broadcast. I would see it milliseconds later if I was tuned in. Right. Yeah. Okay. A couple hundred milliseconds. Yeah. Well it's, less than a second. It's negligible to our normal perception of time. Right. Like I'm aware that there's a lag. And if you've ever been on a video call with someone across the ocean, you'll know that there's like noticeable lag. But you can for it's the most part. still within your human reaction time unless the connection is just bad. Right. So... You know, ideas about like, okay, could you have a government that could effectively oversee and operate on Earth? And if it ruled yes. the entire Earth? Yes, you could. Yeah. The next step for human humanity would be intersolar system. So now we're going to go to Mars, for example. Interplanetary. Interplanetary, yeah. In our solar system, interplanetary. Yes. Yeah. So we go to Mars. The time delay just for information from here and back, it's I think, what, 20 minutes one way? Obviously, it depends on the alignment of the two planets, right? That's when Mars is on the other side of the sun, it's farther away than when it's closest to us in its orbit. Averaging, though, about, what, 20 minutes, something like that? Let's just say 20 minutes. It's it's minutes, not seconds. Right, point. yes. Yeah, we're talking about minutes. Less than an hour, but several minutes. Yeah. Right. And it, I think it stays minutes, never goes to hours, never drops to seconds, right. no matter where we are in orientation to each other. Mm-hmm. So, just talking back and forth, I would have to... 
write you an email and then go do something and then come back and see your response. Right? Right. There is no video chatting to Mars. No. Okay. Yeah, you can send a video message, but you can't talk in real time. Exactly. More importantly, if you need to send something to Mars, and this is something that you can kind of mirror on Earth today. Um, for example, the United States military, which operates the largest number of military bases in for on foreign soil, is different than a lot of the ways other militaries are formed in that it has to have a massive logistics fleet to actually move its military around the world, whereas most countries are more concerned with themselves and their borders, mm -hmm. right? And they boast about being able to deploy an essentially an army, which includes people, machinery, supporting machinery, and all that stuff. Within like, I think it's 72 hours, anywhere on the planet, you could essentially have a new military base, fully staffed, fully functional, fully operational, ready to wage a war as though that was the border. So our border, the, the US border in the military context is al always 72 hours away. Right, no more than 72 hours. No yeah. more, right. Uh, and that's assuming we don't just stage people near you, which, spoiler alert, we do. Um, yeah, if we're expecting conflict, they're going to be ready in advance, yeah. Right. Um, this changes, though. On Mars, we're talking months. While right. it may only take minutes to send a message, it's months. Yeah, it will take many months to send anyone there. Yes. So... Or anything there. Let's look at some of the things that governments do today on Earth that we normally don't think about being that difficult. Rule changes. Mm -hmm. So, you send some representatives to some government that is within milliseconds away from you digitally and maybe hours away from you at most, maybe days, I, on a flight, hours. That's what I'm going to count. The fastest right. mode of human transport, it's hours. Um, and they can say, all right, we made this new rule. Everybody's got to follow this new rule. Everybody finds out almost instantly or could. And then the law could go into effect almost instantly. If one place assuming the local government also agrees that, you know, we're not going to enforce this rule, which means there's no one there to enforce the new rule. It is ours to send people to that place to enforce the to rule. To do it. Which is what it takes to be an effective government. If mm -hmm. you, can, you can make rules all you want, but if no one goes over there and makes people do the rules... You're not a government. You're not a government. So on Mars, minutes later, people will find out what the new rule is. But if people on Mars decide, we don't want to follow this rule... What are you going to do about it, though? Yeah, you got months now before you can actually enforce it. And... That's an interesting thing to think about. Um, I think there's a time in human history... Also, huge expenses as well. Yes. Right. Um, it's really expensive to launch anything to another planet. Right. Uh, a specific time in history, I think, kind of provides a good example of this. During the colonial era, European governments would do this. They would make rules and policy changes, but the colonies wouldn't find out for months sometimes. Right, because, yeah, traveling across the Atlantic Ocean on a sailboat takes a long time. Not only that, but your mode of human transport was also the fastest mode of information transport at the time. So, right. You wouldn't even find out that yeah, the rule yeah, changed. Yeah, no one had radios back then. Yeah, like an interesting thing to think about to me is like when the uh, when the American when the American, I don't know what they were, Continental Congress or somebody sent the who is it that sent the Declaration of Independence? What was the yeah, name? The Continental Congress, yep. Yeah, when they sent a a formal Declaration of Independence to England, it wasn't like the war is on now and fighting started the next day. No, they had months before... Yeah, months before they even got the message and then more months before orders could come back to start fighting, yes. Mm -hmm. And if you look at how colonial governments handled this, typically that's what governors were for. 
you would send a proxy right. to rule in your place with your authority and could make decisions up until the time that the decision from the monarch came back and maybe was different. Right? But even then, this already happened in the uh, American colonies and they still just ignored them at one point. Mm-hmm. So even though there were soldiers stationed here that could have done something about it, their response was limited. You had to wait until people got boated over here to do something about it. And you think that getting soldiers that are meant to fight on land off of boats is hard when they're at their weakest because they're on a boat. Imagine trying to go planet side to solve the problem when they know you're coming and can see you not miles away. We're talking months away and they are aware of you and can track you days away right yeah with telescopes they can just watch you on your journey over there yeah exactly and they can send things to intercept you at any point you know that defenders have a more serious advantage the farther away their opposition is and that's an interesting thing to think about planetarily now i would think that you would see a similar situation with places like mars where okay yeah there's a colony there we establish a martian government that is just an an arm of the EarthGov, you know. Mm-hmm. EarthGov is still way more established than MarsGov because it, first of all, Earth supports human life no problem and is going to, for a long time, be way more self-sufficient than Mars is. Mars arguably will not be self-sufficient from the get-go. They have to become self-sufficient at some point. And so policies can be put into place to keep them, you know, relying on Earth for regular, like, supplies of things. But once they're self-sufficient, there's really nothing to stop them from... Breaking doing away. whatever they want, yeah. And even when they do break away, it's really expensive to make them not be broken away. And that's just in the and solar at that point, system. why are you doing it? Right. Just for the power? Why? Exactly. It's way too expensive just for power. Well, I would think that there would probably be some dire need to force this. Like, in, in this hypothetical, we're talking about governments far enough in the future that potentially... Let's just say that there is... Um, Let's let's reel this back for just a moment. Let's say it's moon versus Earth, which is a lot okay, closer. That's a, a lot closer, yes. There is a lot more of certain rare elements that do exist mm-hmm. in space that have accumulated on the moon because of its lack of atmosphere. Like um, tritium, for example, is more common on the moon than it is on Earth. Say that we build technology that relies on this tritium. I'm going to go full Spider-Man 3 here. You can use tritium to build fusion reactors, and it's insanely valuable. So people go live on Mars to get this stuff and send it back. Well, at certain points, what if the moon said, nah, I'm out. I'm just going to be the moon now and I'm on my own thing. Now you have to buy it from me at a marked up price. Mm -hmm. They could set a price higher than, hmm, it's cheaper to send an army to just take it, right? Closer to, so it's easier to manage. So Mm -hmm. I think that's the only situations you would find. Because especially if Earth continued to grow, which... We don't really have a reason to believe that it would necessarily in population. That's a thing that a lot of sci-fi places don't get right. Like we're assuming planets with like hundreds of trillions of people on them. Hundreds of trillions? That That's a thing in certain sci-fi universes. Hundreds of trillions of people. And there's a... Uh, okay. Well, and there are planets that are what's called... Um, I think it's called an... Not an... A necromonopolis, which is essentially the whole planet is a dense city. The entire surface. Like all the oceans have evaporated. And everything is now artificially maintained. And the whole planetary surface is 
a city. Like this is a extreme high sci-fi, high sci-fi yeah. philosophy. Writing off the issues with doing all of that. Yeah, because that is physically impossible, by the way. <laughs> physically impossible, at least as far as we understand. I mean, even with, it's hard to fathom being possible, you know, but, oh, it's an ecumenopolis, I think is what it's called. Okay. Maybe that's a made up term. It probably is. But, either way. terms are made up, but. True. But you see this in both, you see this in several sci-fi, you know, fantasy and, you know, fiction stories is oh yeah this planet which is an entire city that just never ends okay but you would need a hundred trillion or more people to justify that Doing density it, yes. yeah considering that we are super spread out and even our most denser si- densest cities are not even encroaching they're barely encroaching on double digit millions right yeah that's a big city to have double digit millions yeah. like i'm thinking like tokyo is right. I think, or the Tokyo metro area, I think is in double digit millions. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. For example. Um, and New York city is pretty close. It's like eight. Yeah. Yeah. So take New York and make it planet wide. Anyway, that would be the only reason I think that something like that could happen. But then we're, we're way off in woo woo land, but yeah. assume there is a motivation. That's all we really need for this hypothetical. Assume there is a motivation. So you want to go there to make sure that supplies are being sent back to you that you need because you just got a lot more people to support. So you need places that have a surplus because there's not as many people to send stuff back to you who are running at a deficit. And you need this to be regular and steady because there takes a lot of time, you know, to get stuff from point A to point B, mm-hmm. you know, so on and so forth. Um, so yeah, even the moon and Mars is hard. The nearest solar system that we could even begin to maybe inhabit is what, three to four light years away, I think. How far away Alpha Centauri is? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so we're talking now years for messages to get there. Right. Like at light speed and at a high loss rate, messages get there. And we're talking decades, if not centuries, to travel between, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it would take a long time to travel between them. So these weird ideas we have in our sci-fi about, yeah, and then we're wrong. I get why this is a thing, right? Like it's easy to scale up our understanding of, you know, local state, federal governments to apply to then swap states out for planet or swap like local for planet and then solar system for state and then a system for state and then galactic sector for country. We'll just do that because that scales one-to-one and then we can, we can create all these things in the sci-fi world that kind of, mirror something that we can understand but these are not things that would actually exist in reality so what in what takes its place right i think we both kind of already talked about it you're gonna have planets out there that in all ways are essentially just disconnected almost not causally but they're they're causally delayed from earth you know i mean and if everyone's aware of this then like what how does that change the way we form political institutions? Are, are people going to try to spread political institutions across planets? Are they even going to bother trying? Is there a point in trying? Is there really a benefit to doing so? If some natural catastrophe happened, like an asteroid impact, you won't know for like years. It you know, Minutes minimum, and that's a bare, bare minimum. Like you got like one or two places where it's minutes. Mm-hmm. Most other places it's years and most, most other places it's, centuries or more mm-hmm. millennium so it, 
besides feeling really small as a human, you know, what, what does that look like? You know, like what, what is the more realistic take on how human societies will shape and form in a time period when you might be able to find a life supporting planet or enough, right? Like Mars is, doesn't support human life, but it could with some technology. It's within a, it's better than like a gas giant. <laughs> Well, yes. You know? Yeah, it is at least a terrestrial planet. Yeah. Right. Um, that doesn't get too hot or too cold. You know, it's not like right. Venus. Yeah, it's a terrestrial planet in the habitable zone of the sun. Yeah. So, that's what I kind of wanted to talk about. Now that we've spent, like, what? Almost half, half the episode. Half the episode setting the, uh, setting setting the, the stage. stage. Yeah. But, it, but I think that even setting the stage is interesting to think about because yeah. it is so far out from what even most of our sci-fi looks at. So the first thing that I'm thinking about is who, okay, suppose we're, we're, like, we have the technology now to establish interstellar colonies, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Who goes and why? Um, Well, we already have a person who really wants to go. I mean, Elon Musk wants to go. Sure, Elon Musk wants to go, okay. And I think I know why he wants to go. I mean... Imagine having the resources to go claim. If you can claim a part of a planet, and you have the resources to even get there in the first place, what's to stop you from claiming the whole place? In the, you know, if you're starting well, out with, until more people show up and decide that they want to claim another part, and then you have to actually challenge them with force. Right, but if again, remember, if you're the defender, and you have a, the advantages you will get year over year from being ahead it, it will grow you out further than others don't get me wrong that's not to say that you can't have your own home you ahead, competition though? like okay yes you can go to another planet and start your colony and have a head start on being uh and having a, a planetary defense to stake your claim but you don't have the population to support a supply chain to really do that like that's the thing like okay if you're going to set up a mars colony and declare independence and try to defend yourself from Earth invaders. Um, Earth has way more people working on it to get resources to attack you. True. I think it depends. It's an interesting hypothetical. Let's let's take the Mars example. Let's assume that in 2050, we'll just put this in the near future. No, 2030. Let's, let's go easier than that. Okay. In 2030, um, that's our start date. Doesn't matter when you listen to this. 2030 is the start date. Um, you know, wealthy billionaire man soups up some rockets and loads them up with his followers who are like, love him mm-hmm. and are also skilled, you know, so some overlap there maybe. Um, and they go to Mars and they set up their colony on Mars and a couple of things can happen. One, it could go full Roanoke where everyone dies and we're not really sure what happened until later. And even then, there's going to be people making up conspiracy theories about it ever since. Mm-hmm. Um, or they could be successful. Now, what does success look like? Right. If success is they are able to become self-sufficient, you know, I'm not sure what technology you need to do that nece- necessarily. But say you are able to find like metals and you can you can fabricate things yourself. Like you 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 have the ability to be to build fabricators mm-hmm. and then you can build stuff. Okay, how much of a head start do you need before you essentially outrun any threat? 
like or like what is what is the scale what does the ratio look like where it's like okay with a one-year head start how does that increase like if two people left at the same time it's one to one right mm-hmm. now it's the threat is equal to you and it's just coin toss as to who can take over the other but if you have a year's head start the next people that arrive and crash land they are going to have to start where you started mm. unless you give them things to get them caught up right to where you are mm-hmm. okay depending on your motivations which again if your motivation is to i want to rule a planet and install my family as the you know uh hereditary monarchy of the planet we'll say um where i essentially own every piece of the supply chain or i have interest in every piece of the supply chain like okay so yeah so maybe you don't have to worry about invaders eventually though the mars population is going to get large enough that people will start breaking off and doing their own thing and you're not going to be able to control them exactly like that that's more likely though than invaders as well point I was trying yes to get. okay that's fair so in yeah, that like situation other, other colonizers are not going to show up and outdo you yes because you've already established a base although arguably they could because remember you're leaving with your fleet of rockets and you're going ahead you're taking everything that you need and you're going to get started right and if the yeah, government is possible, the people that you, yeah, the people you leave behind could progress their technology faster and then outdo you when they show up. Right. Um, or even if they don't progress technology, they say the same tech level as you, they can amass a larger fleet of rockets and just send more people with more resources to start. Yeah. Off if with. they really wanted to. Right. But unlikely to actually happen that way, but sure. Because every possible. year that passes, the amount of rockets they would have needed to send with the amount of resources increases non-linearly. Mm-hmm. It's exponential or something like that. It's like, well, instead of sending one rocket to compete at the same time, you have to send two the next year and then four and then eight and then 16. And not only that, but sending rockets costs its own amount of resources in the first place. Right. It's very expensive to send a rocket to another planet. Anyway. Ho- holding any payload, much less like crew right and weapons and whatever Mm -hmm. yeah right so that's unlikely however you are correct i think it's more likely that you'll deal with some type of instability planet side so the way i would imagine if i were the evil dictator wannabe the way i would do it is i would not obviously present as that but instead i would say hey i brought everything here which means that everything that is every initial condition has my name attached to it right right it's all a lease and not only that but everything that gets created so i'll make the only fabricator that makes anything right and i will just prohibit the construction of and i will be the one overseeing the creation of all future fabricators and since i'm ahead and if every fabricator that gets made is mine and i'm always on top of the demand like i i keep it artificially I keep the supply artificially high. As long as I'm able to do this, I can stay theoretically in charge. Although it could arguably become not manageable to where one of my fabricators could break away and say, no, we're just going to seize this fabricator. Or, you know what I mean? Like, and... Right. It also, it depends on like, okay, what rules are you going to impose as dictator that that might upset people, right? Because if you you never upset anybody, then yeah, no one's going to rebel. Um, but if you do upset people, they'll be like, you know what? Uh, we don't like you. And yeah, we're going to seize control of this fabricator now and we're going to do our own thing. Right. Because I would say that if I were going to, I would be a very benevolent dictator, personally. Who wouldn't be, right? Um, yeah, you and everyone else. Yes. You and everyone else. But for real though, like I, I, if I had to be the dictator, like you hit, like, like somehow it is writ in my 
stars that I have to dic- be the dictator for my lifetime and all my children forever will be dictators until we are just overthrown. And in that case, I have no more, you know, lineage. Mm-hmm. The policy for the longest success I would have out is that we would constantly be attempting to increase the quality of living by allowing people to do a lot of the things that we want to do. Mm-hmm. And we would just try to protect the growth. And the only, at that point, the only people that could compete would be people promising more growth. Unfortunately, you can always promise more. Yes. And that's the problem. And is it really you being a benevolent dictator at that point to like use force to seize others who are making promises to convince others on things that are just not possible from seizing your control and watching it tank? Because that becomes the problem. And don't get me wrong. You could also be wrong. There actually might be a better way to be more efficient. Mm Mm-hmm. You have to be open to it, but your decisions to, but if you take a decision that claims to be more efficient and you believe it to be, and it's wrong, now you really are in a position where you're less efficient than you could have been. And then that's when you get it from the other side, the people who want to go back to the way it was before, just with someone else running it the way it used to be. So you have to literally just make every decision correctly. Any wrong decisions opens you up to competition in that way, I would think. I think probably a smarter strategy would be to do experiments in different zones, right? Sure. We think we can do things more efficiently this way. Cool. In, you know, zone P, you know, this this region, we can we can do this. And if it actually works, then we'll change the policy elsewhere. And if it doesn't, then we'll go back. Right. Yeah, yeah that's true. I don't know. I just think that that is the most likely case. Either way, though... The history of what it would be like to be on Mars is now just effectively delineated from Earth. Like, you could travel between the places, but they're just different now. And that's mm-hmm. just in, inter- in in system, in solar system, interplanetary. We're talking intergalactic. Wait. Inter- interstellar. In- interstellar. Interstellar yeah, is that, the next that, step. Intergalactic is a whole, whole different thing. Well, yeah. Which may never actually happen. Yeah. True. Yeah. Interstellar at that point is more like, you're not sending just rockets. Like, I actually like the way um, they looked at it in Warhammer because the way humans colonized at the zenith of their technological achievement, they built essentially gigantic arc-like ships that were essentially fully functional micro-ecosystems. Like, there were generations of people who were going to live and going to die on the ships, and they built it for that. You know, they're essentially the long tubular looking structures mm-hmm. where you live on the inside of the ring and it just spun around. So it had no artificial gravity and people just signed on to live there. And then when you finally reach your destination, you would send ships down to the planet, but you would eventually cannibalize the ship that you came on because there's no going back. Why would you ever want to go back? You would have to send generations of people to die. By this time, people are probably sick of being on the ship anyway. And so... You would cannibalize the ship and you're just there now. And you are effectively just disconnected from the rest of humanity. You may have people show up later, but those other people would have had to have gone through the same thing you did. You know, and you will be forever essentially at an advantage. Because if if no one leaves to get to you before you have arrived... You're hundreds of years, if not thousands of years in the future at that point. And it's, I think, really hard to convince humans to sign up for that. You know, and that's something that I think is interesting. You know, when we're talking about Mars, I think, I don't know if it was Elon who said it or someone else. Likely the first settlers on Mars are going to die there. Like, it's probably not going to be 
a situation where people in their 20s and 30s go to Mars, work to set Mars up, and then come back home to retire. That's probably not going to happen. You're probably going to go there, work there until you die. Uh, there. You know, and, and that's a, a big commitment to make that I don't know that a lot of people are willing to make. But enough will. You know, it doesn't take a lot. Um, but what if the commitment was, no, you're going to die on the, tra- you're going to die in transit. Like, could you foresee yourself ever being in a financial or in a life situation in which, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to sign up to be on a ship where I'm going to die. But my whole purpose will be to, to like work on the ship to get, to get it the first so many light years down the road, assuming you're traveling near light speed. Which at that distance, you've got plenty of time to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, know, you can you can accelerate for a long time before you need to start slowing down. You know, years of constant accelerating mm-hmm. until you need to get about halfway ne- there, and then you need to start decelerating. Arguably, I'm not I'm not sure if it's exactly like yes, that. Yes, that's how we go. Yep. Um, well, I just don't know. That, well, yeah, you're in space, so it would take you this. If, if you're maximum accelerating, then yeah, it'd be halfway, and then you have to maximum decelerate if you don't want to overshoot. So. I don't know. I, I just can't see myself doing that. You know what I mean? Like, all right. right. Yeah, and that's a hard sell. It's a very hard sell. And not only that, so but... So what like, you're going to do is you're going to load up ships full of people who have nothing to live for already. <laughs> and these are going to be your inter- interstellar colonizers. Right. Well, but you would have to load it up with people who wanted a better life for their offspring in their future. Right. But not just their offspring, but like three generations from now. Right. We don't do that on the same planet. Mm -hmm. Most people do not think two or three generations ahead. It's about their life. Mm -hmm. Maybe their kid's life. Seldom their grandkid's life, you know. Whichever, however many generations you're alive for, which the more generations you're alive for, the younger all of you and your lineage are having kids anyway, which means that you're probably doing a lot of living anyway in the moment, you know. Um, There'd have to be a pretty fundamental shift in the way humans see themselves Mm -hmm. or in our lifespans true yes yeah with better medical technology you could maybe actually live long enough to just make the journey right but you're also signing up to be the first person on a planet that is not ready for you that you've done nothing to that is likely going to have things that you didn't know about when you left and it's too late to turn around Mm -hmm. and you're just gonna have to deal with the hardships of getting set up and you might all die because you may have misread the temperature of the planet and you think you're going to arrive at an Earth-like planet, but oops, you arrived at a Venus-like planet. And you're just screwed because there's nothing you can do. Or nothing in many, many lifetimes you can do. And, and that's assuming you brought with you the ability to even change that. You know? Which, again, and I like the way Warhammer handled this, they did not start embarking on these journeys until they have, in that universe, what they called stam- standard template constructors, which were essentially portable AI units that were literally created to solve these kinds of problems. They created what were called standard templates, which were, it could read in what you have available and then given a set of criteria, tell you how to build things that you need from what you have and all the steps in between, which is actually a very good use for a non-GAI. Even though you're getting pretty close to GAI levels at that point, you don't necessarily have to. That would be a very useful machine to have is, mm-hmm. hmm, all right, let's see what we got here. You're on a Mars-like planet. All right, what, what you got? You got a lot of iron? Okay, you got a little bit of this, a little bit of that. All right, so you're going to use all this iron to make things, to make other things, to convert this iron to different kinds of iron before you can make this, before you can make this. 
here's the pipeline. It's going to take you five years to even set up the production lines to get the things that you need to make the real production line that you need. But that's what it takes. And everyone just has to do it. And if you refuse, it's like, cool. And then you're all just going to start to death anyway. And also figure out how to feed yourselves along the way, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 very interesting to think about. Um, so I, I do enjoy talking about the future to people. But I think most people are very starry-eyed when it comes to what they think the future is going to be like. We're going to be on nice, it for a nice long pun, time. by the way. Starry-eyed. I know, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's weird to think about. You know, um, it's very weird to think about, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You also have to undergo a lot of population controls to get there. Mm-hmm. Unless you build the ship to only take so many people. There's also the weird moral conundrum of you're being born on a spaceship that you didn't get to decide to be on, but your parents did get to decide to be on. Well, the, here's the other interesting thing. Okay. So you're born on a spaceship and your whole life is on a spaceship. And then you finally arrive at the destination. Do you even want to get off? exactly you may have to right depending on how if the spaceship is actually built to be truly sustainable or not right um but yeah like so it's like it, it was hard enough for the first generation of people to decide to leave their home planet and live on the spaceship for the rest of their lives but now it's like yeah you're born onto the spaceship and now you have to go change and you're essentially just it's the same thing you're leaving behind your home that you've known right well i think the answer would be eventually you do the ship you're on is eventually going to break down. Yeah. You might be able to feed yourself forever. You could probably build a small ecosystem if you had a ship large enough to do so. That right. could... But at some point, you are going to need external resources. Yeah. Yeah. And you're close... Yeah. You're, you're whatever they call this primordial jar that you set up just right for humans is going to need some input more than sunlight at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think you'd have to. Um, not to mention the untold millions that are going to die just getting there right um that's another interesting thing to think about at certain distances we're not talking just your parents got on we're talking like more generations than we normally think about got on and more generations than you normally think about have just been on the ship and now you're there hmm you how much knowledge of how to live on a planet has like persisted through normal right means you kind of have to relearn again from this in the sci-fi universe that's what that's the other job of the standard template constructor is to keep the plot like hey this is what we're doing i'm gonna remember because i'm a computer you idiot humans are going to forget and so i'm going to have to teach you all the ones who did remember are going to die anyway yeah there'll be several generations dead now you need to listen to me and tell to tell you here's how you do on a planet and here's how to take me up. Here's how to take me apart to move me down there too. And then you're going to have essentially whole colonies of people that, for significant numbers of generations, are going to have to essentially be directed by dead people and machines. Which, spoiler alert, we kind of already are. Right. So that's not that unfamiliar, fortunately. Except not machines. It's by pieces of paper. Right. Constitutions, if you will. Yeah. Which, fortunately, I mean, that bears well. We seem to have followed the plot somewhat decently, depending on who you ask. It, it it's true. About America, you know, like the older ones, like you know, the United Kingdom. Magna Carta was like what, eight hundred years ago? Or, wait, it was yeah, something like that. Eight hundred thousand ish years ago. Yeah. Yeah, eight hundred ish years ago, and they kept that plot pretty well, arguably. It's evolved a little bit since then. Yeah, yeah. There's, but there, yeah, there's changes, but mm-hmm. yeah, that'll be really interesting. I think the thing that's different between like keeping constitutions going and 
uh, keeping like a multi-generational interstellar uh, space travel going and well, and, and arriving and then transitioning back to living on a planet is that we who have kept the constitutions going are living in basically the same conditions, right? Mm-hmm. Like technology around us has changed and things like that. And that's, that's, but that's the most significant change that's happened. Right. But our whole environment has not changed. Right. But if you're going from like, you were born on a spaceship, like you're living in a metal environment and everything around you is built by people. Um, to this is just some like a ball of material somewhere that was not designed by anybody um and you're trying to shape it into something worth living in right well i mean the hypothetical spaceships i'm thinking about are the long cylindrical ones in which you actually put dirt in there Hmm. like it is soil in a large diameter cylinder that's rotating to create one g and you live in houses like you Okay. Yeah, All right. So you're trying to simulate living on a planet. Yeah. Well, that's what we I think we would have to do because you do need people. A, people are going to want to have a similar life to what they had. Like these ships are going to be gigantic. They'd have to be. They would right. take lifetimes to construct one because of our limits on getting things into orbit. Like you would have to ship. There would right, be. Yeah. You're going to be building this thing in orbit, right? You can't build it on the ground and put it up. It's too heavy. There would unironically be hundreds, if not thousands of rockets filled with nothing but soil going into space just to lay a soil bed down so that you could have farms. Like these things would be large enough that you could have conventional farms the way we farm today. That's true. I mean, yeah, space. you had to have someone to get food, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, these things would have to have. Because you can't just carry enough food for that kind of a journey. Right. You would have to have. You'd have to be able to survive with only sunlight. And not just only sunlight, but transient amounts of sunlight. And that's another thing these things do, is it's essentially big sections of metal that have a layer of dirt. Like, all the atmospheric protection layers and then layers of dirt, which can be used to help protect you from the outside radiation. But you can also plant plants on. But but directly across from it will be essentially a giant glass section or something that lets light through. So that... As this thing turns, there's sunlight periodically. Like you, you would experience the same thing we experience day-night cycles. The day-night cycle, but it's a yeah, very rapid. Um, so that'd be a weird thing to get used to. And they'd have shutters on them that would allow them to open and close. I think some of the designs had like a giant spiral mirror, like a giant mirror in the middle that would refract light mm-hmm. within to keep the whole thing lit up, and then you would close the shutters to simulate a day-night cycle that didn't match the rotation. Right. But you would have essentially one season. That would be a big adjustment. Mm, unless you're seasons. Well, I, but it's no guarantee that the planet you're going to is tilted like that and has noticeable seasons. That's also true. Um, and Or it might have even more extreme seasons. Who knows? Yeah. Right. Well, and I would assume that you'd want to land on a place that doesn't because that's easier. I mean, look at the places on Earth now that really don't have seasons. Right. Or they yeah, do, but we, they're called we do wet have and dry. The, yeah, we have, yeah, they have two seasons and they aren't that different. Yeah. Yeah. Number, amount of rainfall and again these things would also have to be large enough to allow water to condense and form things like clouds and actually allow for rain because you need a way to recycle water mm-hmm. that's the that's the other thing you can sunlight's iffy because there are segments of deep space where you really don't have access to enough sunlight to support mm-hmm. plants but you can essentially have massive like and we're talking just absolutely astronomical levels of surface area to collect this energy to generate this light when you need it or you'd have to have some type of long-term energy solution like a like a like a 
nuclear reactor. That, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking you just have a giant or many large nuclear reactors going. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, generate artificial light that way when you get far enough out. And then when you get close enough, because you might pass by several solar systems on your way. And you probably would. You would leverage, you know, gravity to your advantage. But instead of, you know, slingshotting yourself around planets, you're slingshotting yourself around solar systems. You're following paths of comets, which is weird to think about. And you might get close enough to, to stars to kind of recharge on the way. And you might just have to do that. You know, it's also not unlikely that you might need to, like, look for things along the way and might have pit stops. Or you build one of these ships that's large enough to get to a planet that you could get to in the length of the time of your nuclear fuel. But from that point forward, that's your radius. You just can't go indefinitely. Mm-hmm. But you can get those civilizations up to a point and then hope they replicate. And build another one, yeah. Mm-hmm. But at that point, we're talking, I think, back to what we were mentioning before. We are so disconnected at that point that those people on earth would not even find out that a new colony has been established. And it would be one of those things that I think occurred every couple of hundred years. You'd find out, Oh wait, we established a new colony here. They got there successfully and they, they landed and everyone's alive or all the people who are there now are alive. And they send back a message that again, took hundreds of years to get here. If not thousands, other things drift faster than that though. Language drifts faster than that. Mm. Think about that. Imagine chilling on Earth and all of a sudden a radio picks up some transmission that is... you. It's weird now to go back and listen to people talk like during World War II. Like, like you've heard the recordings. It's like... <laughs> that <laughs> The German ship, the Bismarck, has been sunk today. Like people talk like that, mm-hmm. you know? And that's not that long ago. But if you hear someone talking like that today, it's like, why do you sound weird? Now, fast forward, because like, we don't really know what, we don't have recordings older than, much older than 100 years ago. Right, we can like, we can guess from stuff like poetry, because we know stuff is supposed to rhyme a certain way or have a rhythm to it. Yeah. But, yeah. But we sent people off, that at the time we left, they left, we understood them. But by the time they got there, their language has drifted so far that we don't understand. Maybe. So, one thing that I that I think about from time to time is that, I feel like language will drift less and less going forward. Hmm. Um, now, again, right, if you're talking about interstellar travel, then the, some of these rules might be broken. But, like, so these days, we have days. more... Okay, more and more things are being recorded now. Um, and so people will continue to listen to and watch older and older recordings... And this will influence the way that they speak because that's true. because people just mimic one another. Um, so, you know, yeah, if this, if this, uh, interstellar ship takes off and it has with it, you know, lots of media, which uh, have to. which would have to, yeah, the people would obviously want that. And, and it is still traveling slower than light. So it still is able to even receive new media from the other existing planetary civilizations. That's true. Yeah, it's not disconnected like that. So, no, I I don't know that the language would drift all that much. That's true. That's a weird thing to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, and brings up a good, quick tangent. Let's do a very fast tangent. At some point, 
there will be a lecture about something that occurred in history that will be the best lecture ever recorded about that event in history. Mm. Because any point after that, you are too far away from it and details start to get fuzzy. And anything closer to that, it's not been long enough for you to collect a broad enough view. Yes. So there will be history courses you can actually probably take a thousand years from now. It's like, oh, I'm studying 22nd century history where the entire course was recorded at the tail end of the 22nd at the beginning of the 23rd century. And that is the best sources that you have. And no teacher alive could ever teach it as good as the teachers who taught it and recorded it then ever could. Mm, That's very interesting to think about. That is incredibly interesting to think about. And not only that, but that, that information becomes so valuable at that point in time. And denser and denser and more and more secure forms of storage media will be required but that's true uh, back to what you were saying so like the ship's heading away this is a weird thing to think about so let's, <laughs> I, i'm going down this trail so i like to watch baseball for example right yes and i'm keeping up with it right now i'm keeping up with the current season right if i were to get on that spaceship today i could still probably keep up with baseball the rest of my life because i'm not moving fast enough yeah, the messages can keep up with you. Can keep up with it me. Only, the only thing that could uh, inhibit that is signal loss over the distance, right? Do we have the technology to get you a high enough fidelity oh, signal that fast? That but, would be heartbreaking. Imagining like, oh, sorry, this this game just got lost in transmission and you just have to pick it up from context clues. You'll just never be able to watch it because... Well, it's like that. Or like, or maybe we come up with like perfect error correction system, which is impossible, by the way. But could we come enough. up with very good error correction system. So, so you, you never lose it. But the time it takes, the time it takes to actually encode and decode the message, is slower than real time. So you're still mm-hmm. you're you're slipping backwards. Yeah, like I would watch every game in the season. I could watch them every night, but then there will come a point where I have to start watching them every other night. Yes, and it'll be a noticeable it takes you longer switch. than a day to be able to get yesterday's game. Yeah. Oh, that is weird to think about. <laughs> but I could never send my feedback back, or I could. You could. But no one would care because to them, it just happened. And they're already watching the next game before they get... Well, they, they may be watching next season's game, yeah. depending on how far away you're getting. Yeah, yeah so at some <laughs> point where it's like my celebratory email to a co- colleague back on Earth will not get there until a year after this team had already won and lost the next World Series. Right. And it, as you get farther and farther and farther and farther away, oh. that team might have dissolved by the time your message gets back. Man, dude... <laughs> This makes me wonder, will people bother? Like, imagine you and I separate. I get on the ship and you don't. We might, at the beginning, continue correspondence, right? It We can send probably really delayed text messages to each other. But there will come a point where we're sending essentially emails and letters. Yeah, it'll be more like a letter, yes. And then there will come a point when... It's so slow, why bother? Yeah. Why bother? Yeah. And... That in and of itself would make for a really good short story. That would make for a good short story. Hmm. Dear authors who listen to our show. Yes. There's your en- writing prompt. Enjoy that. Yeah, there's <laughs> enjoy your writing, your writing prompt. prompt. <laughs> um, yeah. It's just, it's fascinating to think about. I mean, and it's, I wouldn't say, I don't say this is inevitable because a lot can happen between now and when we're able to actually do this. But, I, and this is where I'm going to go ahead and for the last little bit put on my conspiracy theorist hat. Some people think this already happened. It didn't, for the record. Right. <laughs> um, there was no spaceship Earth. Well, no spaceship that arrived on Earth. and like, We wouldn't do it that way, I don't think. No. We, we don't think that far ahead to go, well, let me just load up some DNA in a capsule and I'll shoot it onto a planet ahead of me. And see what happens. Now, yeah. I, 
But let's think about this far enough into the future, right? Say there is a planet billions of light years away that, or even better, we find a solar system that is forming. Hmm. And we know it's forming. And if we send a probe now, we can load it up with the things necessary to seed life that if we shoot it off in front of us, right? And the probe being smaller and carrying a lot less cargo, we, we shoot the probe off and then it's several thousand years later, right? we finally finish the ship and load it up. But it will always travel slower than the probe. We could actually calculate that we will arrive. This human group would arrive millions of years after the probe does, right? Like, say we get that good. Mm-hmm. Or we just know that there are planets along the way, right? We've, we've got enough stellar cartography together to know that, okay, at the rate we're expanding, there comes a point where it's like we can shoot probes ahead of us that don't need all of these fancy life support systems that don't... They actually can just essentially be dead on the inside mm-hmm. because all the things you need to build life can be can be preserved without a lot of things you would need for life. Yeah. So we start shooting probes out ahead to planets that would be inhabitable zones to influence them to not terraform, but to just naturally form into planets that we would want to be on millions of years right, from now. Yeah, like send yeah, send like plant well, I don't know if you can get that specific. I don't know if you can send stuff to to try to get plants to form. I don't think I think that's too specific, but you know, I guess send send bacteria. Well, bacteria or or yeah, just other building blocks of life um and let it get started um and then hope that it develops into something that makes a nice oxygen rich atmosphere by the time you get there, but I don't know, that's risky. It is risky, but hear me out though. It what if we find out that that's just the most based on the laws of physics Oxygen carb like like oxygen and carbon systems are just the most efficient forms of systems like like systems that make water and that use water and sunlight using the you know uh, Krebs cycle I think that's what mm-hmm. cycle it is and my my biology is there really are many bad. cycles there are many of the cycles yes but it turns out that the systems that happen to arrive on Earth they're just the most efficient systems and that's why they evolved the way they did here. It wasn't just right. some chance. It's just, it was chance, but the chance... Or not that they're the most efficient, but they're the easiest to develop, right? Right. Um, the most likely to develop. The most likely. So it it's a non-zero chance that the probe's cheap compared to sending a ship out. Right. Anyway, and don't be wrong, millions, if not maybe even billions of... If we're thinking that far ahead... But you Yeah, you... You do need it to be hundreds of millions of years at least for it to develop into something useful, right? Mm-hmm. Because keep in mind, you're not going straight there. You're not following it with your spaceship with people because your spaceship can't go that far. Right. You need to find a planet to seed and then about a hundred planets in between that you build a ship, send it to, start a colony. It needs to get up to the point where it can build its own ship and then have enough population right. to throw so all that Right, this is taking thousands and thousands of years to do. Per planet and yeah. you're chaining together... And not to mention the transit time in between. It's thousands. Yeah. It's, it's maybe a couple hundred years to get to the point where you can build the next ship. A couple hundred years to build the ship. So we're talking maybe a thousand years from the time the planet, the ship arrives to where the next ship can take off per planet, not counting the amount of travel time in between. And you need to like stagger step your way across the galaxy from planet to planet. We're looking also, at the Also, all these st- star systems are moving relative to one another. So that could be another thing. Right. So you'd have to, but we could figure it out. I mean, they move in a predictable enough way. Yes. 
um, so you could figure it out and then shoot a probe out that will hit. And then a billion years later, if nothing goes awry, and even if it does, as long as it takes longer, who cares? As long as there's a record of it that just keeps moving from place to place to place and that record is preserved, it could happen. And and But at this point, you would actually 100% need machines that are perpetual, not literal perpetual motion machines, but like machines that can keep that data alive. So like the AI system aboard the ship that first makes the jump needs to be able to make copies of itself to protect it. Yeah, you need it. lots of redundancy and ability to make new redundancy. Mm-hmm. And every time you have a chance to make new, you do. Yep, and then it would repeat the cycle on its own planet to look for new millions, if not hundreds of millions of years planets ahead to seed. It would start building those probes. But then would also know that it's got the target list for itself, where it's like, I need to build colony ships. I have 10 colony ships with the knowledge that I had when I was first launched. I know I'm going to need to build 10. Here they are. It's going to take several thousand years to complete, but I need to build them in this order, and they need to go to these places in this order. And eventually you will start arriving at planets that you had seeded. If it all went according to plan, again, at this time scale, we're talking mm-hmm. super high levels of like error, but it would all go according to plan. But that's also assuming your technology doesn't keep up to allow for that. And that would be a really interesting thing to think about. You know, Again, now you're talking about humanity essentially needing to transcend death. Like, you, you would right. have to transcend death to do this. But if you did, why not? Like, that's a, I think that is, to me, the furthest conceivable limit of what any, as far as we understand, a sentient species could ever accomplish. Because you can't violate the laws of physics. But you can do these things if only you can remember. That becomes the new barrier for you is forgetting. Right. Persistence of information. Yeah. Persistence of memory. Yeah. And it will also persist out in a wave. And all this information coming back will be too soon gone. And you may never bother looking backwards. Why would you ever bother sending the information back? There comes a point where you might send the signal out. But it's going to be too degraded even with the best error correction to ever get there. So why bother telling home play and home planet what happened home planet's done and at that point you know you're also con- contemplating the death of the home planet i was gonna say yeah if we're actually talking about these time scales yeah those planets come and go in those time scales yeah and now you're essentially just dealing with a domino your species now exists in a train of dominoes where you're standing up dominoes hopefully faster than they're falling down and that becomes the new and probably the last cycle you ever enter into as a species an intelligent species is trying to set up dominoes faster than they're falling down and your your species will just ripple out from a single point across right, the galaxy just do that until the galaxy dies yeah wow philosophers philosophers <laughs> If you like the music in this episode, please check out Jippy on Bandcamp at jippy.bandcamp.com. Philosophers is supported by viewers like you. If there's a topic you'd like us to discuss, or a topic you'd like to see revisited in the future, please let us know by contacting us using the methods in the description, or in the comments below. Thank you for listening.